Moving into our message this morning, we, we've been talking about wisdom and really the best, the way to have the best summer and the best life ever is to have the wisdom of God. Wisdom is the master key that opens every door into life. You want the, the, the wealth, the abundance of God. You want the health of God. You want whatever it is that we're looking for. Wisdom is the key that opens every single door. If you just go to one, if you just have the key to wealth, you can have that key. But God says there's so much more. So we saw Solomon Rather than asking for wealth or fame or even the Bible says the death of his enemies, he says, God, I need wisdom in judging your great people. I need wisdom to help equip your people so that we can become the kingdom that you've designed for us. And so God says, because you asked for wisdom rather than all these other things, then I'm going to give you all these things as a result. And so from this concept, we can see that God's wisdom will open up the doors into all the abundance that he has for us. Jesus even also makes mention of this in Matthew 6, He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the rest of the things that the world is seeking after, I'll give them to you. And so when we understand that we go after wisdom, we go after that master key, the kingdom of God, then all of the world will be open to us because we'll know what to do with it. And that's the biggest thing. A lot of people, when they come into church, they say, why do these churches talk about finances? Why do they? Because we understand that if you seek first the kingdom of God, then you'll know what to do with finances. Somebody says, you know, oh, I don't, I don't have, you know, we, I don't have finances. Finances have me. Well, we don't want finances to have us. We want to have the finances to go into the world to spread the gospel. So this morning, we want to talk about how we can have the best summer ever through wisdom. And last week, we talked about having a good attitude, a useful attitude that we're not out here hurting people, affecting, offending people, and all these different things, Those, though that will come just as the result of humanity. But we want to recognize that having a, a good attitude in the midst of this broken and confused world is we want to be able to overcome that. Amen? That we look at this world and there's a lot of rejection. There's a lot of things going on. But we've got to understand that having the right attitude, overcoming rejection, overcoming all these aspects of life is what gets us into a great place that we can truly minister to others. This morning, I want to talk about what happens when sort of the passion begins to wane out. What happens, you know, when your roll gets slowed? You know what I mean? Slow your roll down. No, what, what happens is we, we have this passion for God, and because of the world and because of all the things that take place, we can kind of look up and say, God, what's the big deal? Why am I doing this? Why am I so passionate? Or why am I losing my passion in the midst of all this? We as believers can't lose our passion. We have to remain on fire, so to speak. We have to remain hot and passionate for Jesus because the world is going to wax and wane. They're going to rise and fall. They're going to ebb and flow with the, with the sort of the fads and the trendings and all the things of that, of that nature. But we have to, as believers, continually be going from faith to faith, glory to glory, everlasting to everlasting, growing, becoming fully formed in everything that we do. Amen. Are you with me this morning? Wave your hand if you're awake. Okay, most of you are awake. Good, good, good. So we have, to, we have to recognize that we can't lose our spark, our passion, our motivation for Jesus. And it's very easy to do. 
because the world system is against us. And it looks like a lot of times the world is winning. If you ever, you know, sometimes I'll get these sort of chain emails that talk about how bad America is and all the horrible things that are going on. And if, if you're not careful, you can begin to think, man, where is God in all of this? Well, the world is going to hell, literally, you know what I mean? And we've got to do something and I got to vote correctly. And I'm all for voting correctly and all that kind of stuff. But really what we need to do is we need to pray for America. We need to be focused on pursuing Jesus, because that's really the only answer, right? You can hashtag for days. You can put red X's on your hand and Instagram yourself and all that stuff, but that really doesn't do anything when push comes to shove. Awareness is just awareness. You know what I mean? Like if somebody slaps me in the face, you say, what'd you do that for? I just wanted you to make, I I want you to be aware that I'm here. Okay, well, thank you for making me aware. What is that going to do? I will now go away from you. So we don't ha- it's not about creating awareness. It's about actually doing something. And the way we truly do what Jesus did is to first what? Be like Jesus did, right? Exactly. Being precedes what? Doing. <laughs> okay, being precedes doing. Remember that whole thing? Being, when we become like Jesus, then we will... Do like Jesus, right? When we be okay, this man, this is what happens when we miss a week. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Everyone forgets everything. Who is Jesus? No, I'm just kidding. We're gonna be so that we can do, and this is what the world is always missing. We're just saying, oh, we'll just do, we'll just do, we'll just do, but they're not being anything. And so the doing is nothing. The doing is awareness, the doing is hashtagging, the doing is but we have to become like Jesus because when we become like Jesus, then the works that we do will always represent him and they'll always be great because he says greater works than these will you do if you become like me. Amen? Amen. So the success and the growth of the kingdom of God depends on our ability to remain focused on the Great Commission. And when we lose our focus, not even having a big dream or even a great skill is enough to restore it. We've got to kind of figure out what are the steps in my life that I can take to restore the passion and restore the drive that once was there. And here's the thing. It happens to everybody. Every one of us dissipates in happiness or wanes in motivation or drive. It's just part of life. And even during summer, it's kind of like we all kind of check out and put it into cruise control because like, well, it's, you know, it's hot out. It's humid today. You know what I mean? The things, things aren't as important or whatever. And then all of a sudden in the fall, everyone's back in it. We got to get in there and I got to change my schedule and we got to order all these things and we got to do all this. And all of a sudden the passion's back. Right. And then by the time Christmas, Thanksgiving, it's just kind of like, let's just chill. Let's relax. We've been working so hard. And then what happens January 1st, right? Oh, we got to get back and I'm going to lose all this weight. And this year's the year I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then what, by January 15th, it's like, okay, well, let's just go back to working every day. That's not the way life should be. Although there are seasons of life, we want to ebb and flow and continue to move with the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Holy Spirit does not drive us like Pharaoh, the taskmaster, who says, get all this work done without any of the product. You know what I mean? The Holy Spirit says, I've given you everything you need, and I'm going to help you get the job done. And so this is why our focus has to remain on the Great Commission, because that's the only thing the Holy Spirit is really going to work through us in. When we do the will of God, God will work through us. When we're doing the will of man, he's not going to help us. In fact, it'll be like he's working against us. And that's why we talked about that Tower of Babel, because man's coming together trying to do his own will, which is really the will of the devil. And he's saying, man, we're going to, and God says, I'm going to put a stop to that. And we don't ever want to be on the side where we're working against God, because that 
that's not real work. That's just failure, just so you know. Like, I don't know why things aren't going well. Why are you doing the will of God? No. Well, that's why. You, everything's coming to an abrupt halt, and God does that that to create awareness. You're not going to get very far. Why? Because you're, you're, going to re, you're resisting the Lord. Let's read Proverbs chapter 24 and verses 30 through 34, and it says this. I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you. It's living and sharper and powerful. I thank you today, Lord God, we're filled with energy and life and abundant life. I thank you, Lord, that we love you. Our passion is being restored because of your word this morning. I pray that today, Lord God, that each and every one of us would be the good soil of Jesus that you talked about. Lord, we hear the word, we receive the word, and we do the word. And as a result, we will produce a harvest of 30, 60, and 100 fold. And everybody who believed that shouted, Amen. Elbow your neighbor and say, I'm awake, and this is going to be really, really good. Amen. I love this verse in, in verse 32. Solomon says, when I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it, and I received instruction. And we, each and every one of us, must constantly be observing and considering and receiving instruction from the world around us. And, and one of my favorite pastimes is to, and this is you know my personality, and I know that other people may not like it, but I like to listen to what not only the world is saying, but what people are saying. I like to observe and to see sort of people's personalities and the way they respond and react to different things. And, and then, and then my, the game part, so to speak, and it, it could be a cruel game if it got there, but I, I don't let it be a cruel game. I was sort of you know, figuring out what, what makes them think like this. Was it, do they come from a, a broken home? Did they come from a solid home? Did they, was there something in their past that got in them and is causing them to act like that? You know what I mean? And the chances are in this world, in this day and age, that, that the answer is yes. There's a whole lot of mess going on back. There's a whole lot of baggage that's causing this person to act like this or, or be a jerk or be a friendly or whatever it is. And so I kind of like to do that because it's just interesting to me. And then finding and listening and talking and hearing what is the world saying? It's considering what is going on. One of my, one of my mentors always says this, somebody around you is hurting and it's our job to recognize that and to allow for, he says this again, another, another thing that he says is giving somebody the room to turn around. We cannot give people room to turn around if, if we're hurting ourselves and we're, we're just as harsh as they are. And that's what has to be the difference between us and the world around us is we're listening. We're hearing that there's hurt and there's pain. That this person is angry at me. This boss is angry at me, not because of my performance per se, because I'm a good employee. I'm a problem solver, not a problem maker, right? Yeah, my boss is mad because they had a bad day. They got a fight with somebody. They rammed into someone's car on the way. Whatever it is we're hearing, we're discerning what's going on in their life through wisdom. And we're able to say, you know what? I know they're not mad at me, so I'm not going to get mad back at them. I'm going to give them a soft answer. I'm going to love them. I'm going to give them grace to turn around and make the right decision and make the right move. Are you with me? Okay, So the world is telling us something. Sometimes it's telling us very blatantly. 
Sometimes it's very subconsciously, and we have to be able to hear it and receive the instruction. And this has to be balanced even more with a greater amount of the Word of God, because if we just listen to what the world is saying blatantly or subconsciously, and I was reading a report recently, just kind of doing some research, and it was saying that some 80-plus percent of what we receive is received through our subconscious. That very little is consciously received, just the things that we're perceiving and taking in every single day all around us, which is why the amount of billboards is effective and the amount of banners on the website, all of that stuff is there to subconsciously put in your brain a thought process. Are you with me? And so we have to be able to consider it, hear what the world is saying, and be able to say, okay, how does this line up or not line up with the Word of God? How does this affect my beliefs and my theology? What do I believe about this? A lot of people, because of the events that took place this weekend, were shaken and were confused and were brought into tears and distraught and all these different things because they're not really discerning what's going on. They're saying, oh, this is a this is a this thing or this is a that thing. And the real issue is that because of our self-centeredness and because of our unrighteousness, that's the greater issue. That's the root of the issue. And we can say, well, it's because of this in America. No, it's because of this in the world, sin nature. And when we begin to lay down our sin nature and take on the nature of Christ, then we can truly begin to solve real problems that have been plaguing this country for thousands of years and the world for thousands of more years. Amen. So we have to come back to what is the world telling us? And then what is God saying about that? Amen. So let me give you some keys this morning on how to how to basically figure out, man, am I demotivated? Why am I demotivated? And then how to get your motivation, how to get your groove back. Amen. Stella got her groove back. I don't really know what that movie was about. I just know the title. So if it's a bad movie, do not blame me. You can blame the Internet for having, you know, amount of impressions on my eyes, apparently. <laughs> Number one here, recognize your role has slowed. Okay, so the first thing you need to do is recognize that you've gone from moving at a good rate to slowing down and being demotivated. When we look at this, when we see this, the, it says the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. So Solomon walks by this and he sees this vineyard where the guy has no understanding. We call this whole concept of recognizing your role has slowed. We call this transparency. That if you cannot be transparent with yourself, then you're never going to be transparent with anybody else, number one, let alone with God. And this is why this is so important, because without transparency, we'll not, uh, we'll not view ourselves as we really are. I was watching this little TV show the other day, and the guy was sort of, the, he's sort of spoofing a boss. And, uh, and he's saying, like, if I surrounded myself with people who only tell me yes, he's saying this to another employee, and the guy says, no, you know what I mean? No, you haven't. You know what I mean? Like, cause he's the one saying yes to this guy. How about everything? You're great. You're wonderful. You're awesome. Nothing's ever wrong. And this guy's having this revelation of like, is, is everyone just telling me what I want to hear? And the guy says, no, no one's telling you that, you know, and the, and the look on his face is like, yes, everyone is telling you that, but I don't want to lose my job because you pay me well. So no, no one would ever say that to you. Everyone says, no, you're, you're the best boss, right? And this is kind of the world that we can live in of if we just get people who tell us yes all the time, we're wonderful, we're great, which is awesome, but it can just be flattering. It can inflate ourselves. So we've got to be able to look at ourselves. And this is why reading the word on a daily basis is so important is because we have to understand this. Number one, Every single one of us is a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. 
That, that is what creates equality across the world, is not this or that. It's the fact that we are all sin, and every single one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. So we are all in this state of desperation, this de- state of necessity that we need somebody to rescue us out of the situation we are in to get saved. And the only person who can do that is Jesus. So we've got to understand that, boom, we are first sinners, and we need a Savior. And the second thing is, Once we get saved, we have to understand now that we are the redeemed. We're the graced, we're the blessed, we're the favored, we're the healed. We are those who have been saved by the grace of God. It's not of anything that we've done. It's because of Jesus. Amen? And this is that level of transparency. It comes after Jesus. If you look at our core values, the first core value is Jesus because he's the first and the last and everything in between. The second one is transparency because we want people to understand and recognize that if you cannot acknowledge that you need Jesus, then the rest of the core values won't make a dime to you, won't make a difference. You won't even understand them. I don't understand my identity because you don't understand transparency. If you don't recognize that you need Jesus, then you'll never understand why you would need an identity in Christ Jesus. And this is what we have to do. We have to translate to our friends and family members the need for Jesus. This is why it's so so important to understand that when the Bible says that all have sinned, there's no one good, not even one. And somebody asks you, do you think people are generally good? It puts us in a hard place, right? Because we want to say in sort of a man-pleasing, I think people are generally good, but we know God knows and God told us that people are not good. In fact, it says that the heart is deceitfully wicked. And so when someone tells you to follow your heart, I say, do not follow your heart because your heart will lead you to do weird, dumb things, right? Even when you're saved, That's the hard part. Like, I I thought I had a new heart, but this heart is just as wicked as the last one. And the the Lord's redeeming. The Lord's sanctifying us and working through us. That's why none of us are perfect and we're all on this path together. So the first thing you have to understand is that there's a measure of transparency. A lack of transparency will be an enormous cause of apathy because we'll think everything is fine and therefore we'll do nothing to change it. And the problem with this line of thinking is that all we have to do is look around, observe, and see this world around us and say, man, we, this world needs change, right? And then we'll be like, but somebody else will do that. I'm busy today. Right. And that, that's the wrong mentality is that we have to take, we have to accept responsibility and begin to, you know, people say, be the change. Yeah, we have to be the change, but we also have to make change in our life. A lot of times we, we run into this situation where it's like, man, I want to change, but until you dislike until you hate the present situation you are in, you will do nothing about tomorrow's situation. If you don't like, if you like, oh, you know, if you just like, don't like it a little bit, guess what you're going to do? I'm not really worried about it. It's not that bad. But until you recognize that this situation I'm in is awful and I want to get out of it, only then will you begin to do something about it. A fancy way of saying is, if you don't hate today, you'll do nothing about tomorrow. So we've got to figure out, do we hate today? Do we hate something about today so that we change tomorrow? Whatever tomorrow is, whatever today is, is the result of what you did yesterday and the previous six months. So if things are going great, it's because, man, you've probably been pursuing God and you've been hot. If things are not going as well, then you might want to look back and say, where did I reject God? Where have I, you know, veered from his will? Where have I, you know, or maybe you're just going through a storm. And then you say, God, help me get out of the storm. 
So we've got to understand that we've got to be transparent with ourselves first and foremost. When we look around at the, the vineyard of the man, he was devoid of understanding. He did not understand that his, his vineyard was a mess. Okay? It's completely broken and worn down. The second thing, everything broken can be fixed. And it says this, and there it was all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. And it says, and there it was, it was plain for everyone to see. Everyone except the lazy person. Right? Sometimes, you know, we'll look at homes, you know, want to be nice to buy a house in LA. I'm going to need to win the lotto first. But in the meantime, it's fun to look. And sometimes I look at people, and Derek and I were talking about this yesterday, we'll look at someone's picture that they took of the inside of their house or even the outside of their house. And I think to myself, I wonder if this person knows I can see that their underwear and their dirty clothes are all over their bed. Like they didn't take the time to just take a picture and clean, and not even clean their room up. And they're going to put this for thousands of people to see on the internet. I think here's a person devoid of understanding. If you want to sell your house, you got to fix it all up. And I, we've sold our houses and some of the most intense work to make our house the nicest was in the month before we sold the house. You know what I mean? Like I got to get this house ready to sell. So I got to get the yard. It's like, man, I should have done this six months ago. So I could have enjoyed the nice yard, right? I could have enjoyed the nice bedroom or whatever, but here's somebody, here's a lazy person who says, you know what? I don't even care. Or maybe they don't even, it's not even, they don't even care. They don't even know to care. And this is what Paul's saying is that here is this person's, that Paul Solomon's saying, here is this person's yard. Here is this person's, you know, whole thing. And it's overgrown with thorns. It's a mess. Jesus talks about thorns. He says that the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of earthly riches will choke out the life of a believer. And here we have this lazy, apathetic, demotivated person, and their life is overgrown with thorns. There's a loss of motivation to pray, to seek God, to have faith, whatever. The world has choked out their desire, their passion to pursue more. Where have we become overgrown? Is there portions of your life where the cares of this world have begun to choke it out? When we, when we lived in Seattle, my parents had this yard. It was about an acre and a third maybe. And on this bottom level of grass, we had this line of a hedge. And behind that hedge was a bunch of thorns. And a lot of sticker bushes grow in Seattle. And so what the sticker bushes would do is they'd start climbing over this hedge into the yard. And my mom was like, I don't like that. We need to go and trim those things. So we'd go around the back of the hedge and we'd begin to cut them. Well, you couldn't just cut them and then call it good because you had to pull them out of the hedges. So they were intertwined into the, into the growth of the hedge. And a lot of times when we don't pay attention to our, our spiritual life or even any aspect of our life, the thorns begin to grow in there. And you say, oh, I just clipped it. It's good. It's going to die. Well, you still got to pull that thing out. And you got to, I remember separating it and then taking the little, you know, the little clippers and just bashing the thing down flat and then cutting all the roots out and trying to get them out there because they would just grow crazy. And there were even portions where the bramble was, you know, eight to 10 feet high of just sticker bushes, just thorns everywhere. Well, the same thing happens in our life. The unattended parts of our life, the thorns grow in. And what do they do? They choke out the life of Christ in that area of our life. So we've got to go back and say, okay, I've got to get there. I've got to get my clippers. I got to get my gloves out and I got to yank all this stuff out of there. The thorns represent the inordinate cares in your life. God has this, he sees you, he hears you, but can you hear him? Are the cares so overgrown that you can't hear what God is saying? That you don't even care anymore? Is it like the lazy man and it's just overgrown and it's gone into every aspect of your life? 
Well, thank God everything broken can be fixed. You've got to get in there. And this is the part that we don't like. With a little bit of work, we hated taking those thorns out. But guess what? At the end, mom was happy, which made us happy, of course. And the yard looked nice again. But it took effort. It took time. The second thing he says is its surface was covered with nettles. Anybody ever been afflicted by a stinging nettle? No, you're lucky. Okay, there you go, a few of us. In Seattle, there are also nettles. And they look like a little green fuzzy plant. And you walk by them, and they brush up, and you think, oh, okay, well, it was just a green plant. And then about five, six minutes later, all of a sudden, these little bumps look like little, kind of like little, yeah, little pimples, whatever. Whatever part of your body hit that nettle will start to inflame and get all bumpy and red and sting. And when you're a little kid, it feels like the end of the world. Now, as an adult, they'd probably be like, ow, that hurts, you know, whatever. But as a kid, it's like, oh, I'm dying. I've been stung by something. What is it? Well, until you know what they look like, you know, you don't know to avoid them. So you walk right through them. And we did that time and time again. Sometimes they were low. Sometimes they were tall. But just even brushing by you created this massive irritation. And the nettles represent the attitudes of people around us. Solomon says, the surface of the unmotivated is covered with nettles. And when you brush up against them, their poison begins to irritate you in your life. The atmosphere that you create will affect your motivation and your passion. We need to be surrounding ourselves with people who don't know Jesus, but not to the point that they're irritating us, right? Not to the point that they're affecting us and they're creating a rash in our life and and that you want to get away from them. Now, there'll be times and seasons where, yeah, you just need to separate yourself. But our job is to go out into the world to recognize the stinging nettles and to help them not be like that, right? Don't let the nettles sting you. And the way you keep the nettles off is by knowing what they look like, but then also, you know, I mean, hearing the conversations that are going there. If you know a conversation is going bad, you can just politely excuse yourself. Don't worry about what they think about you. Sometimes we do that to be nice. Some person just rambling on and on and on. Paige was in a waiting room and this person was just rambling on about their sort of their endeavors over the weekend. And she was like, what is the deal? Why is that acceptable for this person to ramble at full volume telling everyone about their, you know, escapades and it's wrong for me to, you know, can I pray for you? Can I, you know, let me help you. You know, that's totally weird. But this is the world that we live in. And so we've got to recognize the the wrong type of conversation and just politely excuse ourselves. Or you can even do this better yet, change the cha- change the conversation. You know, how about those Dodgers yesterday? Whatever, they beat the Padres, all that good stuff. You have to, one of the, one of the things you have to do with nettles, another way to kind of, to get rid of the nettles, you, my mom be like, you guys need to get rid of all the stinging nettles around the property. Guess what? You put gloves on, you put a long sleeve shirt, you put long sleeve pants on, and then you go and you uproot them out of there. Let me just put it like this for us, spiritually speaking, it's called the full armor of God, right? How many times do we walk out into the world sort of unprotected spiritually speaking, a youth pastor used to always, we always kind of say this in reference to the, the full armor of God. You wouldn't go to school naked. You know what I mean? And we think, no, no one would ever do that except in a bad dream, right? And then, but no, 
we would never go out into the world spiritually unprotected, and yet we do all the time. Now, do I think you need to say, I'm putting on the helmet of salvation in this moment, Lord? Well, I think if you're doing a daily prayer life, and even on our daily prayer card, it talks about putting on the, the full armor of God. I think it's an awareness of the fact that I am a spiritual being in relationship with God. I'm doing the will of God, and I'm walking in his protection. Now, I think it's also good to say, I put on you know the breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to guard my heart with all diligence. I put on the shoes of the God gospel of peace wherever I go. You know what I mean? My feet are beautiful because I'm bringing the good news. You know what I mean? I'm putting on the helmet of salvation, taking every thought into captivity, taking up the sword of the spirit to dice up the devil, the shield of faith to, you know, quench every fire. I think that's good to pray that. And I think you should do it on a daily basis until it begins to become an awareness so that when you do walk out, you don't feel unprotected spiritually. Amen. But I don't necessarily think you have to do it every day in the sense of, it becomes this rote religious thing and you just say it because you think that that's what you're supposed to do. I think you have to own it and take it on. I'm going to put on that helmet of salvation. Amen. Are you with me? The third thing he says about this, he says, this was the stone wall was broken down and Solomon likens self-control to a wall. He says this in Proverbs 25, 28, whoever has no rule over his spirit is like a city broken down without walls. And whenever we lose motivation, the walls come down, not in the racial reconciliation, good kind of way, but in the bad kind of way where we cast off restraint, we lose caution, we throw caution to the wind and when we lose self-control, that's not the way God designed us to be. When fatigue walks in, when we get tired, what happens is faith walks out the door. Tired eyes rarely see a good future, which is why we don't make decisions when we're exhausted. A lot of times, Paige and I, we won't even have conversations about uh, church or about faith if we're exhausted because we know that it's not going to come from a perspective of faith because we're tired, right? We're not going to be like, oh, man, should we do this? No, I'm too tired to even think about that, right? Anybody ever been there? Yes? Okay, good. That's why you need to have a Sabbath. That's why you need to live a sustainable lifestyle so that you don't get to the point of exhaustion. But know that when you do, don't make big decisions. Don't plan your 20-year plan when you're tired. Do it when you're alert and awake and and ready and say, man, this is what I can do. I believe that God's going to work through me, right? The answer is yes, right. (laughs) Once fatigue or exhaustion sets in, it's very hard to regain our energy because the wall has been broken down. So we got to recognize that there is a Sabbath. God has given us an example of rest. He says on the seventh day, it says that God rested. Did God need to rest? No. He's been doing work since the beginning. And before there ever even was a beginning, he's been doing work. But he sets a precedent for all of humanity and says, one day a week, there should be some moments of rest. Jesus takes it one step further and shows that that there is a rest now that we can enter into on a daily basis. We no longer have to work to set ourselves free from our sin. He's given us access into this rest and we can rest every single day of the week. You mean sleep every single day? No, I didn't say sleep every single day of the day, all day long. I didn't say that. I didn't say laziness. What I'm saying is there's a rest that should come in our spirit. When there is restlessness, it's because we know there's something wrong in the atmosphere, something not right in our life. And so we've got to work to find that rest through his grace to figure out, okay, it doesn't matter how much effort I put in, nothing's coming out. So I need to figure out how can I do this through the rest of God? That's one of the things that we've determined at City of God. We want this church to grow because we want to reach people, but we're not going to work ourselves to death. 
We're not just going to run around like a chicken with our heads cut off, if anybody has ever heard of that, and a few of you have. But the way that when you cut a chicken's head off, it just runs around like crazy until all the blood squirts out of it. It's the strangest thing, but it's a wonderful example. Some people, that's how they think, I got to do this, what God, God's got to do this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work, 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 work. I'd never even heard that. What song is that? You get the point, though, is that we can't just run around with a chicken like our head cut off. There's got to be a rest to it, that God is going to work through each and every one of us. And when we follow his will, that's when we find the most rest. Amen? Amen. The last point here is find a source of inspiration. When we worship, we, it begins to destroy worry in our life. Worship is the worship. Worry is the worship of problems. When we begin to worry, we're worshiping the problem rather than worshiping God. When we worship God, we recognize these problems aren't that big. There's nothing in our life that God can't handle, right? What, what, what has he not been able to overcome so far that we don't recognize it? And if we don't recognize it, it's because there's a lack of faith on our part. I don't know, man. I don't know if God can pay this bill. And Jesus is like, man, I took a lot of stripes on my back uh, so that you can pay that bill. You know what I mean? I became poor so that you could become rich. Right. And there's nothing on this earth that God can't handle. He took the crown of thorns on our heads so that we don't have to worry. He took that pain in his brain. That was a sick rhyme right there. He took that pain in his brain so that we wouldn't have to worry about it. He says, look, don't worry about all these things. Just seek first the kingdom of God. And so we have to understand that Jesus has come. And when we worship him, the problems begin to wane out. And when we worship him, we find that inspiration again, which is why we have an entire portion of our gathering is focused on worship. We recognize that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. And so when we set our mind on him, we realize I'm set on the rock that's higher than I am. I've been pulled out of this miry clay. God is for me and not against me. Amen. Amen. Another source of inspiration are words of encouragement. The Bible is the most encouraging source of inspiration on earth. When you read it every day, you will be encouraged. Amen. When you read the Psalms and you think like, man, I'm encouraged because David is having the same attitude I did. Lord, where are you? They're against me. Everyone hates me, but I will hope in God. Ooh, careful there. The abundance of the Lord came spilling out. Finally, words of victory. Are you a victim or are you an overcomer? And this is something we talk about a lot at the city of God is if you have a victim mentality, you'll talk like a victim. If you have an overcoming mentality, then you'll talk like an overcomer. I have all these problems. no, all these problems are getting solved by Jesus Christ. I'm sick. No, I'm healed in Jesus' name. Faith is not ignoring the problem. Faith is understanding that Jesus is the answer to the problem. So I've got a diagnosis, but Jesus is bigger than that diagnosis. Whatever that thing may be, financial, maybe spiritual, maybe natural, maybe health, whatever it is, maybe, maybe in your mind, whatever, Jesus is that answer. And faith says, I recognize that there is a problem, but Jesus is able to overcome it. And as a result, I am more than a conqueror through him in all these things. Amen. I'm able to do all things through Christ to what? Who strengthens me. So it's not of myself that I'm trying to work and wear myself out. It's through Jesus Christ who helps me overcome all these things. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads as we pray this morning.